the lawyers that brought you the Zen Stoic Podcast comes an all-new talking creation, the Zen Stoic Path. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path. I am here with uh, my good buddy, Brendan Lemon. <laughs> cheers. Cheers, by the way. On yes. These guys. Cheers. Bang. Absolutely. My goodness. Uh, Brennan and I are, we're actually having some matcha tea as, uh, as good Zen people. <laughs> we figured it was fitting. For Today you. on the podcast, uh, funny man, Brendan Lemon, uh, he's, uh, he's great. We got him here talking about doing his goofy radio voices. Yes. We figured this was the best way to introduce him because <laughs> I can tell you all that he is a comedian that he's been on the previous podcast, the Zen Stark podcast, but I figured it was better to just introduce him this way. From the people that brought you <laughs> in the tradition of Zen Stoic Podcasts comes an all-new Victor Purantini creation. <laughs> Did I screw up your name, by the you, way? You may have, yeah. yeah. It's Purantoni. But... Purantoni, that's it. In my head, I went, that's not right, as soon as I said it. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Brennan, I'm, I'm very glad to have you back here, man. This is I'm glad the third to be time. Back. Cool, chilling in the... This is like the hippest podcast studio, man. Thank you. You, you guys don't see it yet because he doesn't have video, but there's an, in, there's an indoor waterfall in here, and there's, um, <laughs> there's actually a live alligator also in here. Yeah, we, we figured actually one of the best ways to stay zen is to have a dangerous animal that can take your life at any moment. And there's actually a deaf... Uh, there's a deaf performing arts troupe in the background... <laughs> They are the silent uh, trapeze artists. You guys can't see them, but it's pretty. It's actually hard to stay focused. If I'm yeah. being completely honest. Well, I like to put a bunch of distractions in the background <laughs> so that you know we can really get into a true meditative state. <laughs> where this is, we have to test it, right? If I can lock this out in the in the heat of combat, if I can stay focused on my targets. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I mean, I mean, anybody can just go to a very quiet Zen garden and meditate. I mean, that's, that's e- you're right. That's, that's easy. easy. That's easy, dude. <laughs> but when you have all these things going on, I do this. Because it's very fitting with the times that we're living in today. That's true. <laughs> That's yeah. true, dude. That expl- it explains a lot, actually. It explains why you're in Texas now. Yes, absolutely. So. Well, yeah, thankfully, I, I got to Texas at the right time. And I came here back in 2019, and then, you know, the, the world took an interesting turn. <laughs> you got here before Joe Rogan, bro. I did. I did. Joe followed me, actually. That's true. That's I heard him say. say it on the podcast. <laughs> He said it. I was hanging out with him at Vol- at the Vulcan Gas Company, and he said, you know, I don't say this on the pod, but actually Victor's the one. But he got your name wrong, too. He said Victor Pirantini, and I thought, that's not the way. That's not how it's yeah, said. Yeah, like Joe. Get it together, <laughs> it's man. It's Victor Pirantoni, buddy. Exactly. Uh, congratulations. Uh, let me go ahead and pour this for you. Yes. I don't want to accidentally spill this while I'm focusing on speaking of this microphone. Yeah, I, but, I appreciate it. Um the, uh, congratulations on getting your uh, purple belt. I said that already, but I wanted to say it on the podcast as well. Thank you. Yes, I did recently do that. This is some hot sake. That is some hot sake. Is it? Uh, is it dangerous? Okay, no, no it's, it's not dangerous. We're lukewarm good. now. All right. Cheers. Cheers. To that. Bang. Uh, ooh, that's delicious. So Victor has a hot uh, sake. I should shoot it all at once. Yes, that's that is how you drink sake. So at least uh, if you're going to be like a samurai master about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody, t- what is? It? You can't be a teetotaler with soccer. No, no, absolutely not. Why? Why? why uh, right? You can't. You can't. You can't sip sake and then wander into you know samurai <laughs> combat. No, no. You. I mean, you don't have time to fight if you're sipping sake. No. <laughs> Nobody fights with a katana in one hand and an unfinished glass of sake in the other. It would just. It just wouldn't work. <laughs> 
Um, darn it. What was I talking about? Uh, Joe Rogan talking about you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Now we're, now we're all here. Everybody here's in, you know, Austin, Texas now. Yes. It's like the whole world's moving here. Yeah, man. I mean, like you've been here for a few months now. I mean, you don't, I, you don't officially live here. You're no. just kind of here. Yeah. Yeah. Out no, for, I'm just hanging out. Yeah, yeah. I was, um, so I was in New York previously and then the pandemic hit and I bounced back to Michigan and I think you and I recorded, oh, I was in Chicago when yes. you and I recorded the last one. Yes, when you and I both had our hair and beards grown out substantially. Yeah. Oh my gosh, dude, yeah, I don't have a beard anymore. <laughs> like, I mean, you look like Epictetus and dude, I look like Marcus Aurelius. It was really classic. People, I'm t- it's looking good now, too, your beard. Thank you, thank you. I'm really going for the philosopher's look. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty hip, dude. I'm wondering if you can handle it in the heat, though, coming uh, up soon. We're going we're gonna to do our best. I definitely, there. I saw a photo of me uh, from that period from last year and I was like holy moly this is ridiculous and now I have long hair yes and like no beard which is like the opposite (laughs) (laughs) you grew out the long hair and remove the the facial hair it's really good to just not get attached to any given look yeah like like these are just these are just things that ride on top of me (laughs) absolutely you just got to be appearance fluid (laughs) appearance fluid (laughs) I just show up whoever you don't know which Brendan you're gonna get until until he shows up I've, I've had this is the third version of Brendan I've had on the podcast. That's true, man. I was like clean shaven and like had like short hair like the yes, first time the we first recorded. Time. That's right. <laughs> and then the second time was just a majestic beard, and now we have a nice scruff. Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I had finished the stoic salesperson last time. That's right. And yes. Now and since then, I've published yet another book with uh, a co-author. That one was about two years in the making, and that was I think I talked about it briefly. Mm. on the last time. Yeah, we did. That we, was we the, po- the Power Bible. Yeah. Yes. And that one's pretty cool. James Altucher wrote the foreword for that book. He's been a big fan. He put a, a chapter of our book in his book that he published called Skip the Line. Mm-hmm. So he's been a huge supporter of uh, my co-author and I. Uh, Bill Batit is his name. And uh, that's been great. That book has been go- doing very well, which is nice. Excellent, man. I, I wanted to to talk today about the Stoic salesperson. Let's do it. Because I know we, we chat about it, but then let's definitely get into that book as well. Yeah. As you, so for those of you who don't know Brendan, he, he has a very interesting background. Like him and I, we connected while we were at an event. Uh, it was in Fort Lauderdale a couple of years ago. And we both realized that we enjoy philosophy, specifically Zen and Stoicism. We had some good chats about that. But he also is a stand-up comedian. So yep. we always have these uh, very hilarious conversations <laughs> where we weave in the Zen and Stoicism. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, a – yeah, but you and I connected over I, – I mean, you're a jiu-jitsu guy, and yes. I kind of used to be a jiu-jitsu guy mm-hmm. and used to do mixed martial arts and all this kind of stuff. And that's kind of got what got me into that philosophy to sort yes. of start with. So there's been a few things, but yeah, I'm also a stand-up comic. That's why I'm in Austin, actually. Yes. Is that's why I've been so busy. It's like I've been doing, uh, so there is now, there was zero comedy club. So before the pandemic, there was Cap City was in mm-hmm. Austin. Cap City closed. It's reopening now. But uh, there were no comedy clubs for a while. And now there's going to be like five comedy clubs. Yeah. And I'm up around here. Yeah, it's going to be nuts. So Joe Rogan's intention is to turn Austin into like a another entertainment destination in America. So it's Mm -hmm. like you, you know, people go out to New York or LA to like see shows and stuff, but like he wants Austin to be like, if you want to go see comedy in America, you need to come to Austin. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think he's succeeding in this mostly. Uh, I mean, like he's, he's opening his own comedy club. So 
it's going to be kind of nuts, but I'm really good friends with a group of people who opened the Creek in the Cave Comedy Club here in Austin. Mm-hmm. And the Creek in the Cave was a kind of hole-in-the-wall indie comedy club in Brooklyn in New York. And I had a lot of friends who frequented that location a lot. And <laughs> if you watch, uh, are you sure you need more of this, Sake? <laughs> I, I am, I'm just, I am fine here. All right, there that, we go. That, that Sake. Uh, so for those of you who are not here and you can't see this visually, one of the uh, animals in the background that Brennan had mentioned before threw something at me and I almost spilled the Sake. <laughs> That sounds better than it's what wild, actually happened, man. which is that it almost just. It's amazing you were able. Yeah, it's an a- amazing you've been able to pour this so well. What with dodging boomerangs. Yes. Uh, so anyway, the um, I'll go ahead. I'll take this. Oh, thank you, that sir. One's yours. Yes. So uh, this uh, creek in a cave was a um, was basically an indie comedy club in New York. It's kind of a hole in the wall, and I had a lot of friends who hung out there and did comedy there, and um, it's a great location. So during the pandemic, it shut its doors, and then basically through a whole bunch of completely strange happenstance, you know, changes of fate, a handful of people here in Austin basically came onto the opportunity to open a comedy club. Mm -hmm. And they reached out to uh, the owner of that club, the Creek in the Cave in New York, and said, on Facebook, and just was like, hey, do you have any interest in moving down to Austin? And she was like, yeah, that's, it sounds like a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. And then called Joe Rogan and was like, is it okay, is it okay if I open a club in Austin? And he was like, yeah, man, come down. You know, like, so, <laughs> so she basically moved down here and um, I was, it's cool. This is my little claim to fame in my world. I was the first comedian ever to do comedy on stage at the Creek in the Cave Comedy Club. Uh, in their main room in Austin. Oh, that's amazing, dude. Yeah, I first did not even comedian, know that about you. First comedian ever <laughs> to get on stage and tell jokes. Excellent. So yes. that was pretty dope, and I owe Rebecca, uh, the woman who runs the place, my headshot, because she was like, give me the headshot, I'll put it up on the wall. I'll be like, this is the first guy who was on <laughs> stage. I was like, yeah, this sounds good. Yes, fantastic. Uh, so anyway, I, I've been down here doing shows kind of all over Austin and kind mm-hmm. of all over, mostly kind of north and then west down to San Antonio, but I've been in tour in Texas a little bit to El Paso and Corpus Christi and you know some other towns in the mm-hmm. kind of in the area, so... It's been a good time, like uh, just sort of telling jokes around around Texas. Yes, absolutely. And <clears throat> I think, obviously, it, the world has gone into some pretty uncertain times, some pretty turbulent times, uh, to put it lightly. Yeah. <laughs> so I feel like something like comedy is some is so valuable right now, the ability to laugh at a situation. Dude, it has... Um you know, it's weird, because Joe Rogan talks about this on his podcast all the time, but... It, it really, it's so necessary and it's so like, it, there's a, um, I don't know if you noticed this, but there was like a, like an energy change in the last, like, I want to say probably like two months. Mm-hmm. I think it started in about, in about mid March where it was like, it had been a year of the pandemic mm-hmm. and it felt like I could feel everybody's energy go from this is annoying and it's frustrating to just like weird, weird fucking done with this. Like <laughs> We're it was all just, set. <laughs> yeah, it was just like really. I did it, notice that actually. <laughs> something clicked and um, I was feeling it also. I mean, it was hard for me. Like, but you know, my it's funny. Uh, the 
what did Robin Williams say about he was like uh, the the shadow of depression is comedy or something? Because it's like mm-hmm. funny because people say the shadow of comedy is depression, but it's like mm-hmm. the opposite is yes. true also. Absolutely, the Where, inverse is also true. Yeah, yeah. So it's funny because like every crowd that we've done comedy in front of, like I was on tour with Chris Kattan uh, from Saturday Night Live, came out and did <laughs> a bunch of spots. Love that guy. Yeah, it was he's dude. People love love coming to see him. Yeah, and crowds were so ready to laugh. Like, and I I was um. With Chris Kattan, and then uh, went to some, did some shows with Tony Rock in uh, San Antonio, and like, same thing. It's like crowds are just so ready to get going and like mm-hmm. be out of their headspace. I think for a while because it's like one thing to be at home and watch Netflix, but it's in a totally different thing to be at a live comedy show. Yeah, with other people. Yeah, even if you have to social distance and your tables are like far away from each other and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it was, it's just been, it was, it's been really good. So hopefully, the rest of the America can. You know, get back to something that resembles normalcy soon. Yeah, I would hope so because <clears throat> obviously there's situations that can cause a lot of despair. Kind of like you know, I don't know the the economy shutting down and people yeah. getting sick and yeah. people not knowing you know where their next meal is going to come from or whether or not they're going to catch something tomorrow or whatever the case is. And you can look at that and you can look in total despair, or you can find ways to laugh because. I had a friend once, he he told me he'd been through some pretty interesting things in his life, and he was in the military, so he'd been through some really tough experiences. Um, he was a minority, so he's been you know treated poorly at times in his life because of that. And I remember he he still has such a sense of humor about it. He's not like upset all the time about his situation or the things that he's been through. And when I ask him about it, he says, he's like, well, my dad always taught me that you know you can be upset about something. But if you can't laugh at it, then that situation owns you. Oh, yeah, dude. Well, that's what, you know, it's funny because like a, one of the theories of humor is that you can, you're, <clears throat> you can't, you can't be funny or make jokes about things that are like imminent. Like you mm-hmm. can't, you can only laugh about like if a, if you're like, let's imagine this for a second. Like if you're in a, you know, it's, it's Neolithic times and you're in a tribe mm-hmm. and you're, you know, all walking through the woods on a hunt and out of nowhere, a mountain lion jumps out, and all of you are like, holy shit! And then, like, you, you guys all freak out and throw your spears and throw rocks yes. at it. And then the mountain lion chases you, and you guys all run away. And then finally, somebody hits the mountain lion with a rock, and it's like it's pissed off and then runs away. Mm-hmm. It's like, in the moment, that is not funny at all. <laughs> That's true. That is, so, is the opposite. That is so not funny. But then afterwards, like everybody, like you get, yeah, all the guys get together and like, are we okay? Are we fine? And they're like, oh my God, this guy pissed his pants. And like, (laughs) oh my God, did you, you scared, you, you didn't come anywhere near the mountain line with that rock. Like, like, start start judging people's throwing abilities. Yeah, exactly. And like, (laughs) but the point of the story is to indicate that it's like, there's this kind of distance that can only occur. It's like. You know, comedy can also be a wedge, though, because sometimes that distance is there because obviously, like in the mountain lion example, like the lion's not f- fucking there anymore. Like, right. it's not, if it was still there, you wouldn't be like joking with somebody about it. But like, it indicates that it's like this thing doesn't have power or control over you. You have some ability to make choices in that space. And that's why, actually, it's interesting because that's why heroes in movies end up saying like, you know, one liners during. Mm-hmm like the most tense moments when things are happening. Yes. Like there's a scene, I love this, it's like one of the reasons I love the Marvel movies and I love the Avengers is that there's this great, uh, in the first Avengers movie, Captain America, they're on that like flying, uh, 
like sh- like shield uh, flying fortress or whatever. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. And Tony Stark is flying around, and they're getting attacked by people, and uh, one of the engines like blows up, and the whole thing is about to like fall out of the sky. Mm-hmm. And Captain America is like in the engine trying to repair it, and Tony Stark is talking to him, and he's like, "Hey, what wh- what's going on?" And and Captain America is like looking at it and he goes, it appears to run on some form of electricity, which is like <laughs> such a great. And then it cuts back to Tony Stark and he goes, well, you're not wrong. <laughs> like, and I love these moments because it's like, that's why we watch those. That in, That's why we love heroes in movies is yes. because it indicates that it's like, no matter what's happening, these guys are like above the situation somehow. Yes. But I mean, like, that's hard to do in real life, to be it, honest. It's hard to do in real life, but it also is... I think one of the th- the brilliant things about Zen Zen is often related to humor. And we talked about this the first time that you were on the podcast, but Zen is very spontaneous in the way that it's experienced, right? And the moment you try to start explaining it and whatnot kind of dilutes its meaning. But in humor situations, when you have like this involuntary reaction and you laugh, you like, you just have a belly laugh to something in that moment, whatever it was that might've been concerning you, you completely forget about because you're there, you're present in that moment of that laugh. And it's, if you're able to do that and laugh at situations that no longer have control over you, don't have power over you because maybe they've passed like the lion who has, you know, now run away from the situation in your little tribe. That's when these, these philosophies become so valuable. Oh yeah, dude. There's uh, a, two things can't come to mind actually uh, to, to, to respond to that. One is, um, there's a great if no if if ever and if anybody's listening and you haven't seen the British Broadcasting Company's uh, um, War and Peace like mm. they uh, they did a few years ago with like Paul Dano and um, I forget what other actors they did Tolstoy's War and Peace mm-hmm. and it it was really good and I'm a huge nerd and um, part of what may have led to my <laughs> to the end of my last relationship was I really, I was like, we need to watch war and peace. Yes. That's not the thing that would have, that led to it. Okay. I was, so I was wondering, is yeah, like, was that the, yeah, no, it's good. If, if you're listening to it, it's good. It's a good show. You can watch it with your partner. It's amazing. You, you won't break up. Yeah. The thing, because of this. Yeah, the thing that led to the breakup, don't do this part, which is what I'm about to describe. So if you're taking notes, drop box and write don't do the following (laughs) instead of just watching the episodes which were wonderful and a work of art and highly entertaining and romantic i insisted on watching youtube videos about the battles in the napoleonic war like with the second coalition which is what the what war and peace takes place during um, that the story of War and Peace takes place around. So I was like, they have like the battle of like Borodino and mm. I'm like, we're going to go watch a 25 minute video about the battle of Borodino <laughs> that like talks about the strategic movements of the armies that yes. led up to the battle. <laughs> and she was like, why the fuck are you making me watch these? <laughs> like, <laughs> and I was like, you don't like, you don't, you don't think this is important. Like you don't think this is important to no. And, uh, so now I'm single, but um, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, the reason I bring this up is that in that production, in the Battle of Austerlitz, which is, uh, I think it was the Battle of Austerlitz in the show, uh, there is a scene in which the, one of the main characters is a, he's like a colonel in the, or like a lieutenant, like in the Russian army, mm-hmm. and they're marching into a bunch of French-like cannon fire 
which um just for the history of uh if if of um of Napoleonic battles, Austerlitz is like Napoleon's masterstroke. It's like it's the most complete victory Napoleon had. You know what I mean? And uh, he, in a string of rather great, glorious victories, that was the most complete. Mm-hmm. And so that's important because these, if you know any of this, you're watching this and you're like, these guys are about to get their asses kicked, basically. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, that's what's happening in the video. There's like explosions going off and guys are getting shot. And um, one of these troops that this guy's leading in the battle turns to him and he's like, oh, we can't do anything. It's, it's, it's terrifying. Everybody is getting attacked. Like, we, the bombs are going off. And the main character turns to this guy and he goes, nothing to do but enjoy. And then keeps, like, walking. <laughs> and I thought of that moment recently because it's almost like a weird kind of, like, resignation where you're like, I can't really there's no point in freaking out about this. Like, right. he's like, we're already in the middle of this. Like, yes, like it, I, you know what I mean? Here we are. You got to so, enjoy the experience. Yeah. I mean, right? that, that's, I mean, I may have had an unpopular view of the world during the pandemic, but that that's very much how I saw things. Like all those memes. I don't know if anybody watching this has ever seen that video of the guy eating French fries in the middle of a restaurant and the people are having a brawl <laughs> behind him and he keeps eating his fries. Like that was me during this pandemic. That's so funny. <laughs> you just enjoy what, what you have going on around you. you know, that's so like, there's so many moments in life like that though, because I thought of that specific moment. And this was the second thought I had when you were talking about approaching things with humor is like, you know, and where like these philosophies come in, like where the rubber meets the road in real life. Because I had, I had a really rough uh, last few weeks at the day job. So, like, this mm-hmm. is why, like, we talked about, like, my uh, the stoic salesperson was written basically out of the fact that I have this day job as a mm-hmm. salesperson. Yes. And I have a team of salespeople, and I have to coach these salespeople. And, um, you know, that's where all those philosophies had served me in my career, so I decided to write that book. And <clears throat> And in the last few weeks, I've had a really challenging time Mm-hmm. you know, for a whole bunch of reasons. And one of the, at, at the end of, at the tail end of a really challenging week, my boss uh, set a meeting at like 5.30 p.m. on a Friday. Mm-hmm. It was like, we gotta, and we had things to legitimately talk about, but it yes. was like 5.30 p.m. on a Friday, man. You know what I mean? And <laughs> right so, at the end of the day. <clears> right at the end of the day. Already. Right at the end of the week. <laughs> like, we got to be back in like, in you know what I mean? And like, Less than 72 hours, like, I don't know, th- what is this, 64 hours we'll be back in the office or something? Yes. Like, so <laughs> it was just funny to me because other people on the team were like, what is this going on? How, why do we have this meeting and all this stuff? And we get into the meeting and, like, sure enough, it's like, it's exactly what you don't want at the end of the week <laughs> on Friday. It's like, what about these things? What's happening with these things? What's, let's re- reviewing everything that's happening. Mm. And you're like, all my friends are at a happy hour right now. And I'm, sitting here listening and it's not like and you know and if anybody from work is, <laughs> listens to this it's not like it was a pointless meeting or anything it was like it was fine that we had it this is the point of the, you know, sometimes you got to do these things mm-hmm. but i thought of that moment because i was like i you know i'm not complaining i'm just sitting here going man this sucks like <laughs> i'm not, <laughs> this really blows like <laughs> this like, i better enjoy it because yes. this is a savory moment of awfulness you Absolutely. know <laughs> Well, I mean, it, it's important to be able to enjoy both the pleasant and the unpleasant experiences. Not not from like being like a masochist or anything like that, like looking for pain out there, unless that <laughs> you're into that sort of thing. In which case, you some know, people are, man. Your, that's your business. But it, it, the the point is that I, at least the way I see it, is that emotions 
the ones that don't feel pleasant. They're not bad. They're yeah. just signals to you. They're trying to tell you something. So there's something to enjoy about both the pleasant and the unpleasant experiences. And if you can embrace the unpleasant experiences and you're not simply relying on what is pleasant or pleasurable all the time, then you're in much better shape, especially when something like this goes on. You can find the humor in it. You can laugh at it. it the experience, the circumstances don't have to own you and define every little thing that you do. Yeah, I think that's exactly true. And like, I think that it's interesting because I think in the last year dealing with a pandemic, I, it's funny to me because a lot of things, everybody's had a lot of stuff that's happened in their lives that's been challenging. Mm-hmm. Like no matter who you are in this last year, unless literally you're, you know, uh, I don't know, Elon Musk or... Uh, I'm sure he had his fair share yeah, of challenges. Yeah, he must have had his fair share of challenges too, I yeah. guess. But <laughs> Jeff Bezos, you know, finally decided to step down, I guess, as CEO of Amazon. That was his big challenge after he made a you know a, a, a what a, a 60 billion more dollars he was like all right fine like, i've I, had I, enough I, of this shit i guess this is okay <laughs> <laughs> i like to think that he had a moment where he threw like a clipboard across his like office and he was like i'm done like, i can't take i can't take any more of this excellent <laughs> i think that would be so <laughs> i choose to believe that that's yes. what i choose to believe and and that's that's all that matters right, <laughs> right. I don't know if you know this, but did you know that um, Jeff Bezos, this is true. Um, it's funny because uh, when he's not working, mm-hmm. he actually spends most of his time uh, laying his scaly body on top of his heat rock. Did you, did you know that? Scaly body? Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that. Yeah, it's crazy. He's, uh, it's true. And it, I did not, I didn't know you could buy a heat rock no, it's, to lay it's on. Re- well, you know, when you're a giant reptile, you got to <laughs> warm your body somehow. I suppose. So I told that joke on um, TikTok, and I was like, he's scaly body on top of his heat rock. LOL. And then somebody posted, this is actually anti-Semitic. And I was like, what? And they're oh. like, yeah, didn't you know that, like, this is like Jews, like, people say that Jews are lizard people. That's really anti-Semitic. And I was like, no, 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 no. Okay, look, first of all... um, I just to be clear with everybody, I don't think that Jews are lizard people. Okay. Yes. Jeff Bezos is a lizard person, but he was a lizard person long before he converted to Judaism. And I just want to be clear with everybody. <laughs> what a stupid joke. What a stupid fucking joke. <laughs> You're probably going to bleep that out on this podcast. Yeah, we'll, we'll do what we need to do. <laughs> we'll see how the rest of this progresses. <laughs> or, or regresses, I suppose. There we go. Um,. Yeah, the, uh, no, uh, so what, what was I saying? So, so everybody's had a very difficult year, and um, I think, um, I think though, it's f- interesting to me because I, I was talking to, with um, my parents about this, and they said, you you know, so like I've got also, similar to you, I got out of a major relationship this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I moved twice, no. you know what I mean, across the country. That's not, that's a stress-free experience. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, it was like crazy when I think back on all this stuff that I had to do. And um, I mean, out of New York to the Midwest, then from the Midwest to to Austin, mm-hmm. I did luckily keep my job. Although a big part of who I am and what I did, comedy stopped entirely for yes. a very long period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a business that I was involved in in New York totally fail. Um, just was outside of my day job that I was invested mm-hmm. in. That completely, because of the pandemic, completely failed. Um, and it was weird because I was talking to my parents and they were like, you seem to have handled this like rather well, actually, given like all this craziness. And I mm-hmm. think it's because partially it's like you just got to fly by the seat of your pants at some level. Like 
The you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Like, you know what? I'm here. I'm breathing. I'm, I got water to drink. Uh, you got food to eat. I got a place to sleep. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, pr- I'm pretty much okay. Yeah. Like, you're, you're good if you have those things. And, and sometimes I think a lot of us don't realize how important or how essential those things are. I think right? it's like, true. Like a, a bed to sleep in, a roof over your head, and like water to drink, food to eat. I mean, these seem like given things, but many people take it for granted. Um, I, I mean, you know, I think I told you this one other time on this podcast. At one time I was living out of my truck, so. I don't know if we talked about that in yeah. previous episodes. Yeah, I made an off-color joke about Jews on a podcast and uh, <laughs> lost everything. Ah, the time continuum. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't even tell the joke yet. Yeah. It was months before you said the joke on the Zen Stoic Path. <laughs> it, was, it was like, uh, it was like, um, you know, what is that, what is that Christopher Nolan movie that just came out? It was like, uh. Uh, darn it! Not a, I keep wanting to say Inception. It's the one where he goes back in time. What's Which it called? One? I don't know. That it just one. came out. Eventually, it, though, Brendan, we are going to have a person in here who can Google these things. But oh, we are cool. not at that point in the podcast yet. Jamie, Jamie, throw that up on the screen. Jamie, <laughs> we, need, we need a Jamie. If somebody Jamie. wants to be a Jamie for the Zenstoic podcast, and you live in the Austin area, please uh, send an email it. to info at zenstoic.com. <laughs> info at zenstoic.com. There's my job ad for this. Uh, from the people who brought you Jamie on <laughs> Joe Rogan Experience. Absolutely. Comes an all-new producer. Uh, yeah, anyway. The, so you I'm, lived out of your truck. Lived out of my truck. Did we not talk about that? No, we have okay. not, yeah. Yeah, I, um, for six months' time, I was living out of my truck in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and this was in 2014. Mm-hmm. So I had been living in France and telling jokes. I started a comedy show in France that actually went on. Yeah, went on regularly until the pandemic happened. It was in English? It was an English comedy show. It was called The Great American Comedy Show. Excellent. And it was stand-up comedy. They They, Well, they really did. And Mm -hmm. because there's an, in Paris, there's a large enough population of expats Mm. who would come to see, and you know, English-speaking expats, not not just Americans. It'd be like Canadians or British, Australians. And then a large enough population of just kind of English speakers who would come out and see comedy. And there's enough traveling comedians that, like, this Mm. show would get sometimes, like, big-time comics that would come through. Like, Judah Friedlander came through, I think, and Louis C.K. did the show eventually before his his whole thing. His whole debacle. (laughs) Yeah, his whole debacle. And, um, you know, it was kind of cool because it was, like, the only – it was one of a small number of shows that were going on in Paris that were in English. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, I had been living there doing that show and then came back to the United States and uh, was kind of back working at a startup that was kind of a bootstrap startup and it had cash flow issues. Mm. And so it was just strange because it was like I just couldn't really get an apartment because I was kind of in this position of like, well, do I rent a place and sign a lease because like I don't really I can't like guarantee I'm going to get paid every month because this this startup was only getting paid like intermittently. Mm-hmm. So it was like, I think I, the longest I went was like three months without getting a paycheck. Yes. So it was like, it just was very bizarre. And so I it's stayed a pretty with intense experience. Yeah. It was, I mean, it was, you know, I don't know. I'm like, I was like 27, mm-hmm. maybe 20. I think I was 27 years old, 28 years old. So it was like, I mean, I was an adult, but I was like young, a young and like, yeah, a young adult. Yeah. And it was like kind of whatever I was staying at friends places. It was, Boulder, Colorado in the summertime. I had a pickup truck with a, you know, mattress in the back so I could like sleep. And then I had a 
I did have a membership at a gym. Oh, perfection. <laughs> so I, I would sleep. I would, That's all you need, baby. <laughs> I, would, I would sleep. <laughs> this is so stupid. It's like insane now because I think about it like how ridiculous the story sounds. Yeah. <laughs> like I was like working. So I would go to a, I would go to the gym, which had a which had free Wi-Fi for members. Oh, excellent. And I would just work during the day. Yes. And then I would work out in the gym. I would take a shower. You know what I mean? I'd have my, like, my clothes. I would go to a laundromat if I had to wash my clothes, or I would just do it at a friend's house. Mm-hmm. And then I would either sleep in my truck or at a friend's house or, like, or I was really, this is a period of time in my life, I got really good at, like, picking up girls from bars. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Another strategy thrown That's, into the mix. It's not exactly, yeah, right. It's not exactly the greatest, uh, I don't sound like the coolest guy in this, in this story. I don't exactly sound like, you know, uh, I'm somebody you want to model their behavior after. Uh, but I did get quite good at like talking to women in bars and being like, hey, we should go back to my place. And then they'd be like, yeah. And I'm like, actually, you know what? Maybe we should go back to your place. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and they'd be like, why does this guy have like air, luggage <laughs> like with him? <laughs> why does he have luggage? Like I'm a nomad. Yeah. Can I take a shower and like, do you have a, do you, you have like in unit laundry? That's crazy. Do you oh. mind if I like do some real quick? Like that's wild. <laughs> it's just so, it was so, so ridiculous. I told a bunch of those stories. I did a charity benefit for homelessness in the city of Chicago a couple mm-hmm. years ago and uh, told a bunch of those stories on stage. And it was like, it just, it actually felt like a relief because it's not like something that I tell people a lot. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad you could say it on the podcast for all the listeners. Well, <laughs> you know, I felt, I felt like everybody should know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, was, that was, I think that was probably as challenging as my life uh, has almost ever gotten. So what was your, in that situation? I mean, you've studied a lot of philosophies. Where where did some of those philosophies play into helping you through that situation? Like what what lessons stood out or principles stood out to you during that? Yeah, I that's a good question, man. It was um that was a it was a really challenging period of time because what I didn't say earlier, part of what got me into that situation was that I had gone through uh, a family tragedy mm-hmm. that had happened. My c- cousin, who I was very close to, died in a horrible uh, drunk driving accident. Him and his girlfriend were hit um, in Clearwater, Florida, on the Memorial uh, Highway. They were on a tandem bicycle on Labor Day in 2013, and both got hit by a drunk driver at 6 in the morning, and both were killed. And it was just, like, really happened, really. I had literally just gotten back from France, like, three days before, Mm -hmm. and then that happened, and then it was like, there's this whole weird tailspin. And it, it, it was pretty rough because... Um, he, he died, uh, and then she was in a coma for like three more weeks before Mm. she, they finally were like, look, she's not coming back. And Mm. her family had to make the difficult decision of deciding that it was like, all right, we're going to pull the plug. Mm -hmm. And, uh, which is horrifying. Yes. And so it was like weeks of time went by like during this. And then it was like that entire winter I was like at home and working and then I, then I headed to Boulder and then I wasn't getting paid regularly. And it was like, so it's quite a situation. Yeah. So looking back in my history, I'm like, I kind of give myself permission to like not be my best self during that mm. year of time. Yes. But it was weird because I think, um, 
there's like a I don't know that if I don't know that anything helped me during that period of time because it was everything was just so strange. Mm-hmm. Like if if I had been if I had to go back and give myself advice now, like if, who I am now with with what I was going through then, I think what I probably would have done is sat down and read a lot of um Epictetus, I think. Yes. And, I mean, yeah, he, him, most of his life, he was a slave, so. Yeah, and. He, he seemed like that he had a handle on that type of experience of having a very limited set of options. Well, he, in, I think it's his third tenet in the Enchiridion, mm-hmm. he says, say to yourself this, like, for anything you have in your life, you need to say to yourself like this. I think it's the third, mm-hmm. but he says, for anything you say you have in your life, you you should say, you know, if you have a cup, you should say, this is not my cup. This is just a cup that I have. Mm. And he goes, now extend that to all the people you love and care about. Because it's mm. like, this may one day go away from me. And so it's mm. weird because I think that there was something, I don't know, man. I mean, it was a pretty rough period of time because my cousin and I were very close growing up. Yes. But, like, I think that the perception of, like, acceptance and the idea that it's like, look, man, you just you're not promised anything like you, you don't have anything. No, nobody promised you anything. You're, Mm -hmm. you're fine either way. Like you're still here. We're all living in the same kind of contingency. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like it's, I was listening. This is going to not, this is not stoicism or Zen, but, um, Jacques Lacan is Mm -hmm. a, uh, psychoanalyst. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him. I've heard the name before. Yeah. He's becoming more popular, I think, but he, um, he has this concept of what he calls the real, and the real is um, not reality. Reality is a constructed image that we what, that we have, yes. like which we we construct through the imagination and symbols. Mm-hmm. So it's like we operate in reality, which is a fake world that we conv- that we think is real. Yes, um, that enables us to perform our normal everyday duties. Mm-hmm. But the real is sort of like the nominal uh, truth that exists underneath that. Yes, and when we get glimpses of the real, it provides a kind of weird, um, terrifying, like, uh, experience to us. And it's, it's actually, and part of his theory is that it is actually impossible to describe it to other people. Like, this is why, like, if something terrible happens to you, it's actually, like, people only speak in, like, cliches mm-hmm. because it is actually impossible to describe to another person like what this is. It's, it defies representation. Right. Cause yeah. it's direct experience. Yeah. And similar it, to a, another thing that we talk about on this podcast yeah. starts with a Z ends with N. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> similar to, yes, that. exactly. <laughs> Which is that, that's how it's described. But the real, as you're describing it now is it sounds very similar to that. Actually, I think it's analogous. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the two things are, the two things are very similar. Um, that's a very astute point. I was, I didn't even think about that, but you're exactly right. Uh, Zen and stoicism always find their own. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? This is why you're the, this is why you're the professional. This is why people come to you. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) From the people who brought you the real comes Zen. (laughs) That's right. Uh, so yeah. Anyway, what I'm, I get, I think what I'm trying to describe is that Lacan had this concept of the real. And I think that, when people, one of his ideas is that when people encounter the real, it screws up what he calls your symbolic world. So it's mm-hmm. like you, you have this order to things that you think, oh, this is the way that life goes. Yes. 
And for a lot of people, that serves them their whole life. Like mm-hmm. they just, yeah, this is how life is, and I don't need to question it. Nothing interrupts yeah. this. We'll just go as it is. Yeah, just go as it is. And, you know, mo- most people have, a, you know, very rare instances in which something happens that causes them to reflect on their symbolic order mm-hmm. and try to pick up the pieces. But that was what that event was for me was I was like, Oh, there's it's chaos. Like everything is just fucking chaos. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what to do. I don't know how to operate in a world, which I can't depend on anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know, but, but that's, you know, Lacan's concept is that that's, that's anything, any, all the time. Mm-hmm. There's the Chinese just launched a, launched a, um, uh, something to their space days. So those are Chinese space stations flying mm-hmm. around earth and they launched something recently that apparently is going to, uh, you know, attach to their space station. But part of the rocket that was used to propel this additional part of their space station into orbit, like broke off and is now in the next like 10 days, Mm-hmm. from the time we're having this conversation, going to fall down and crashed onto Earth somewhere. Yeah. And they, like, <laughs> have no idea where this is. They're like, yeah, we don't, you know. It's, it's coming down at the, some point. <laughs> the danger area is roughly here, and then they just circle the Earth. Like, it's <laughs> it's like it's going to come down. It's going to hit this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the likelihood is that it's most like, you know, most of the world is water, so it's likely just going to fucking crash into the ocean or something. Mm. And in for the parts of the world that aren't water is mostly rurally spaced out. So mm-hmm. the chances of something falling from heaven and smashing you are very low. Yes. But they're not zero. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent point. So, <laughs> so the point that I'm making is like Lacan goes like, look, it's that's the deep, the deeper reality is that anything like this could happen to anybody at any time. Mm-hmm. But you can't operate in the world like that's the truth. Yes. And I think that, you know, to draw it back, I feel like that that reality is what was encountering me at the time. And I think what would have made sense is if somebody had, um, you know, really walked me through. If I, I from the future went to the past, I think I would have really sat down and, and, and reflected on, um, you know, people losing things. I think I probably would have read um, uh, Seneca, who mm-hmm. lost his son. Yes. And I think it would have been a similar kind of thing, which is like, you know, his letters where he reflects on loss, mm-hmm. I think are similarly focused, which is like, hey, it's you, you didn't control you, you didn't control this anyway. Mm-hmm. Like you, sh- you should be ha- you didn't have control over it. You never did. It was mm-hmm. an illusion that you would have had it for the future. And you should appreciate the fact that you have no- memories generated around this mm-hmm. uh, to begin with. Right. Absolutely. And it's, <clears throat> that's a really important concept. I remember um, through a lot of my study of both Zen and Stoicism, that's where I started to I started to define the time that I had with my mom, which was like only seven years of my life as like, oh, I got to have seven years with her uh-huh. rather than like I lost her at seven years old. And just like the the changing of that representation of that particular experience completely changed the way that I experience it. And it's very similar to like what Seneca was saying there. It's like, there, it's all perspective. Like you, it depends on where you're actually focusing and what you're putting your attention on. And that's why I feel like these philosophies are so valuable because for me, at least stoicism helps you navigate the world of representation. Yeah. Of like it, it teaches you how to think, whereas Zen teaches you how to be. 
Yeah. And Zen is beyond representation, but Stoicism, I find, is a good translator of some of those things that you get that seem to be beyond representation, which is where those two have come together. Yeah. Because, like, you experience these things, like, okay, well, now I'm going back into quote-unquote reality that we're all sharing. I need a way to navigate this. And if yeah. I navigate it in this way, I won't be, you know, sucker punched at every corner. And if I am, I'll still be okay. I'll be fine. Yeah, yeah exactly. And even if I'm not fine, I'll be fine. Right. Like, there's kind of like a, I'm just deciding that this is yes. the way this it's is going to be. a decision at that point. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, to get back to, like, um, you know, talking about, like, humor, I think that's, that's the that decision is where you're able to open the space to then insinuate humor. Yes. Like, you know, like one of the first jokes, I knew that I was starting to feel better about my cousin's death, actually. When I got on stage, I wrote a joke. You might not find this funny. I thought it was hilarious when I wrote it. And the joke was, uh, my cousin died uh, two weeks ago, but I've been drinking about it for months. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's so stupid. I don't know why that made me laugh, but it did. It's so it's so <laughs> stupid, man. It's like such a dumb joke, and the audience didn't laugh. They were like, "What?" But like, I for some reason when I realized that, and then when I was writing that joke, I was like, "Oh, okay. I'm starting to. I'm okay." Like, mm-hmm. and that happened like a few weeks after his death. I realized, okay, whatever the first part was of the lion was trying to kill us, mm-hmm. I'm past the first part of that at least. Yes, you know what I mean. Absolutely, it's um. Yeah, death is an interesting thing, which is why I do appreciate that the Stoics always discuss it, right? They discuss, like, meditating <laughs> yeah, on your immortality. They're like, they'll say some profound thing about something. They're like, by the way, you're going to die. Yeah. Remember that. <laughs> by the way. <laughs> what is it? What, um, sick transit gloria. That's what the Romans would say at a triumph. Oh. Like when, yeah, here's another bit of, of his, historical philosophy for you or, or classics. I'm not sure where this falls. Mm-hmm. Um, that was when a Roman general would come back and they would celebrate a triumph. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a slave would place the, uh, the um, what is that thing called? The little leaf crown mm-hmm. on top of his head. And they would whisper in his ear, sick transit Gloria, which means glory fades. Mm. And like that, I think that's important to remember because it's like it's all things pass away, basically. Absolutely. That's, uh, and, and I think that's one of the reasons why one thing that will absolutely always lead to some kind of a disappointment is being completely outcome oriented in your life. Yeah. You have attachment to outcome consistently with like, if it's always about the next goal or if it's about the next milestone all the time, you're going to live a life of chasing. Oh, buddy. It's like you're talking to me. <laughs> I mean, I am. You're sitting across from me. <laughs> but that's, that's why I find Zen to be so important because it teaches you to be present in the process. Like even, even when I do, do coaching with my clients, I, I am not the coach that's going to tell people, you know, you, you need more goals, you need more milestones, you need, you need to do more. I'm more like, how, how do we find a process and a set of habits that actually allows you to be present? So we talk about what does a perfect, boring, mundane existence look like for you? Ooh, that's a great, that's a good one, man. I feel like I might go journal about that after this. <laughs> it it, uh, it changes the way that you What's look at What's my it. most boring day look like? It's your perfect boring day. Your perfect boring day. All right, there we go. Yes. If you can, if you can learn to have a perfect boring day, then the, the spikes or the, the times that you do hit milestones and outcomes are an incredible high, but at the same time, they're not... It, 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 you don't treat them like an addict 
looking for that next fix, that yeah. next dopamine rush of hitting a new milestone or getting it or, or accomplishing a new goal. But instead you, you're able to love the process, which is why if you spend your life doing processes you hate because you think the outcome is so worth it, then some people may disagree with this, but you're in for a rough ride. Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't, I don't, it's weird, man, because like, this is something, so this is interesting because, uh, you know, sometimes the universe winks at you and this is one of those times for me because it's like, <laughs> this is exactly what I've been going through lately. Mm-hmm. And it's because, uh, so recently, so I've got, um, the last year, it's really weird because I was describing to somebody like all this stuff that I've done in the last year and they're like, dude, that's crazy. Like it's, mm-hmm. I published two books and yeah, which is awesome, which is nuts. <laughs> right. And like, um, my team at, uh, the day job has grown. Like, you know, I've hired a bunch of people. We've got like, there's a ton of growth going on. Yes. Like things are going really decently. I opened for, um, not one, but like two of my comedy idols who like, I really, really like, yeah. Which, which were these idols? For yeah. You? It was Chris Gatan and then Tony rock, man. It was like, it was so, so cool. And, um, it was amazing. And like, you know, got involved with the opening of a comedy club in Austin and mm-hmm. moved out of New York, moved down to Austin. Like it was like crazy. There was yes. like all this stuff. A lot of things on. happening. Yeah. A lot <laughs> happening, man. Um, hit a, hit a, not to brag, but hit like a savings and financial goal, which I was like really excited about, especially for a guy who lived out of his truck for a while. I was like, yeah. you know, to, is, to hit a savings and financial yeah. goal after living out of your truck at one point in your life, I think is a, is a good thing to be yeah. excited so about. So it's been like a crazy <laughs> year. And uh, so I recently was like, you know what? I'm just going to double down on everything I'm doing, which is like always a bad sign. It's funny because it's, it's weird how you can see in other people things that you would like advice you would give them, but mm-hmm. you can't see to give it to yourself in a mm-hmm. way. Because like I always, I have this rule at work where if anybody has a hot hand, like things are going really well, mm-hmm. that's when you start going like, okay, when are you going to take time off? How mm-hmm. are you going to recover from this? Like, because it's easy to keep going when things are like really good, but that's how yeah. burnout happens, et cetera. So you got to find your middle way, baby. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know what I mean? So, Anyway, I'll, I expect an invoice, uh, to receive an invoice for this, for this coaching session. So anyway, the, uh, the, where this is going is that like I recently, in order to double, I was like, yeah, I'm gonna double down and put out some new online courses, which I'm Mm -hmm. excited about, about like cold calling and Mm -hmm. like all the things that I'm, you know, I I coach teams for, I'm going to do a whole system of online courses about them, um, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, and then I started writing this book of essays about the Midwest. That's a whole other thing. But like, any, there's some big projects for like yes. the next year. So I hire a productivity coach. Mm-hmm. And the first thing this guy does is he goes, listen, um, we're going to, I want you to track every minute of your day, like in 15 minute segments. So mm-hmm. don't go crazy, but like 15 minutes, just all day long, like, you know, every few hours, like sit down and think about what you did and just fill in this form. So I do this for two weeks and we get back and this guy looks at it and he like looks at like all my productivity like systems and he goes, I don't, I don't know how I can help you. I'm going to be honest. He's like, (laughs) you're, you're so packed and your priorities are like good. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, dude, I had, I don't have a minute of the day. (laughs) Like you haven't done a stuff. So I'm like, it's funny that I've been hitting this like level. It's just, I guess I'm sharing this with you only because one, we've had a bunch of glasses of sake (laughs) and two, uh, it's interesting to me because like that is uh you know like a boring day is like a a perfect boring day is actually a good thing to think about because i i think i've been in this system in the last Mm -hmm. year the pandemic hits and i'm like i better crank it man and like you move into like you know emergency mode or whatever you're doing but uh at some point you got to kind of back off or take your foot off the gas or like yes you, you can go through periods of your life where you're 
super focused or you're like, I'm chasing some things. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that one after the other, after the other, after the other. Yeah, there, I think it's it's good to have direction, right? Direction's really important. You need something to aim at. But yeah. if, if direction becomes identity, that's when you might run into some trouble. If direction becomes identity, that's when you might run into some trouble. That's pretty, honestly, you need to write that down and put that in a book. Oh, it's going in the transcription. <laughs> <laughs> That's why, we, that's why we buy the fancy f- software. What? We're 50, we're fifty minutes into this thing already. We are. Yeah, it's pretty good. This is why conversations with you fly by, dude. Absolutely, dude. I, I I've uh, always enjoyed our conversations, but yeah, it's 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 an interesting point, right, to think about that because the perfect boring day. What what's important about that thought is it tells you basically what is actually important in your life, mm. right? I. I often encourage people to have as much blank space in their day without derailing, you know, their their quality of life as possible. Like, don't be lazy and just, like, watch TV all day. Like, blank space is not the target, but <laughs> the more blank space you can incorporate among the important tasks and priorities that you have, the better. Because it just allows your mind to just be. Yeah. Rather than always chasing, rather than always trying to do something or accomplish something. Most people just can't sit with themselves. Well, you start to feel trapped, you know? Like, you have to go from one thing to the next thing all the time. Yeah, the tasks are running you. You're not doing them. There's a dude who I know who has a level of fame that I am actually jealous of. (laughs) He's a a really funny comic. His name is Jason Rouse. Mm -hmm. And he's, um, I will warn anybody, he's very funny, but he is extremely vulgar. He Mm -hmm. is, like, a very um, dirty comic. Mm -hmm. That's what he's known for. Yes. But he's, you know paradoxically like one of the sweetest nicest guys like he's mm-hmm. very nice he's very polite he's super i mean very, interpersonally just fantastic yes he's exactly the kind of guy who you'd, you'd be like yeah i'd introduce him to my grandmother like he's like the nicest <laughs> i dude. just wouldn't have her watch i would his, but i would comedy. never ever <laughs> let her watch his comedy like he's just a very very nice guy and i did yes. his, his his podcast recently and I mean, to give you an example of the kind of guy he is at his core, like the podcast was us walking around Lady Bird Lake and oh, Austin lovely. and him just recording on his phone, like super mm. chill, very funny, dirty jokes. <laughs> anyway, Jason um, has a kind of level of fame that I'm very jealous of, which is that there are people who, if they're into that style of comedy in that mm. world, they know who he is mm-hmm. for sure. And people recognize him like yes. when we go out in public in certain bars in Austin, people will be like, oh my God, are you Jason Rouse? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah, man, what's up? And they're like, oh, I'm just such a huge fan. And he's like, oh, that's cool, man. That's, yeah, that's great. Can I get a selfie with you? Yeah, of course. And they'll like take a selfie and stuff. Um, And that, he, he, it's like he doesn't get trapped by that level of fame. Mm-hmm. Like he still has a lot of choice in his world of yes. like, where do I want to go to do comedy? He can, he can, he's done comedy all over the world and like different, like just different countries, exactly like following the model that I'm following Mm -hmm. and that my mentor Tom Rhodes is following. And, uh, another guy who has a level of fame that like people who know, who are into that world know Mm -hmm. who he is, but he's not trapped by any of this stuff. And it's weird because I feel like for somebody who's ambitious, if you have ambitions and you're trying to get things done, Mm -hmm. you can easily construct a maze for yourself. Absolutely. Then you can't get out of. Yeah. And then the whole game becomes you trying to get out of the maze that you created for yourself. Yeah, right? Yeah. Not a fun time. 
It's kind of like um, one of my favorite podcast episodes that I've ever heard. I don't know if you listen to this, but if you haven't, you must. And for those of you listening, if you're a fan of comedy, you must do this as well. But the uh, Bill Burr episode on Kevin Hart's podcast. I haven't heard this. It I need to go check it out. Amazing, but Bill Bill Burr is just laying into him the entire time because they're friends. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Kevin Hart's like, "This is one of my good friends," and Bill Burr's like, "You haven't called me in three years, man." <laughs> <laughs> you haven't called me in three years, man. <laughs> I don't understand what you're talking about. <laughs> but there's a point in it, dude. <laughs> yeah, you've had a phone the whole time. <laughs> Why have you never called me? <laughs> it's, it sounded exactly like that. But there's this part where Kevin I Hart's love him about so to, much. Oh uh, yeah, Bill Burr's one of my favorites. But there's this part where Kevin Hart's about to say something, and he like he has such a strong preface, and it's like basically an apology for what he's about to say. And Bill's like, "You see that? He's like, you're trapped. He's like, you can't even say things freely anymore, <laughs> dude. That's so funny because <laughs> you're gonna lose sponsors and shit. Yeah, exactly." <laughs> Man, what are you going to do, not host the Oscars? <laughs> they already did it to you. <laughs> exactly. I'm pretty sure he brought that up at some point. But, but yeah, there's, um, that, that's the thing. When, when, uh, when direction becomes identity, that's the type of thing that you're into. Because if, I don't know Kevin Hart, and I can't pretend to know what that level of fame feels like. But it seems like that whatever the direction is can be messed with if he says the wrong thing. Thus oh, completely, dude. Thus the, thus, the identity becomes messed with, dude. That's the whole. But at that level, like, that's one of the things that I'm jealous about with Jason Rouse is like because of his comedy, mm-hmm. he can like say anything and be fine. It's like he's unimpeachable. Like he <laughs> says horrible things on stage and like, already. <laughs> and I've watched him like destroy audiences. Like audiences will, and he makes a joke out of it. He's like, "Listen, I'm." Like, he goes, what are you going to do, shoot me? I'm Canadian. Like, free health care. <laughs> like, he has all these jokes about this stuff. But because he's used to audiences turning on him. Mm. But, like, part of the joke that he enjoys is it's like, dude, I'm being ironic. Like, there's mm-hmm. no way. How, I can't mean. I don't mean any of this. Mm-hmm. You know, but whatever. We'll leave the philosophy of comedy to the side for a second. But, like, um, the point that I'm making is that that level of that identity becomes direction. I, that's just, It's like he's created a trap for himself because it's like he has to be, you have to be this specific kind of way. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy because like what you want to cultivate is a lifestyle. And this makes sense to think about your perfect boring day in which you're natural, the things that you're naturally interested in doing and that you'd want to do, like maybe you apply some pressure here or there to them. Like I'm writing a book of essays about the Midwest right now, partially to work out my feelings about them because Mm -hmm. I moved back to the Midwest during the pandemic and I was like, wow, this is a weird place. Would I normally want to sit down and write a quasi academic series of essays about the Midwest? No, (laughs) (laughs) but like, it's something that I wanted to get out of me. So it was work, but it was Mm. like work that I was happy to do. Yes. But it's like, you want to be able to put, and this makes a lot of sense, man, some time in your life where you can accommodate things like that but the whole point isn't just that all the time mm-hmm. that makes sense to no me. yeah it's, it, it can't be that all the time i think i mean this this obviously is one of those cliches but life ebbs and flows right there are times for significant amount of effort and busyness and like really plowing through and going after something and then there's times to just be just be and let yourself recover the thing is i feel like a lot of people are afraid to be bored you know, it's very interesting that you say that. There's a guy um, who, his name is Josh Terry, and he's a friend of mine. He lives north of Austin, and mm-hmm. he's uh, got a huge following on TikTok. 
and he has um, this uh, theory he calls the line of comfort, and I think he's publishing a book about it. Rec- mm. uh, it should be coming up soon. Um, he either already published it, it's either already available on Amazon or it's about to be, mm-hmm. the line of comfort. And he talks about this exact thing, which is that the problem isn't that people, the, the problem is that people tend to operate in anxiety, mm-hmm. not because they can't tolerate anxiety, but because they can't tolerate boredom. Right. And the problem is that they tend to push themselves into this place of anxiety more often than tolerating boredom. And in order to actually be good at something mm-hmm. and actually accomplish things, you actually need to sit in ang- in boredom a lot, you not do. in anxiety. Bo- like, I think if you sit in boredom, that's where all creativity springs up. It doesn't spring up when you're like busy doing stuff. It's like when you're bored, you think of something stupid to entertain yourself. Yeah. Or like, oh, wouldn't that be a dumb idea? And then it just comes up. Yeah, dude. You're yeah. in the shower. Yeah. You're in the dude, nobody. Yeah. Nobody comes up with a good idea when you're running from the fucking mountain lion. Right. Like, <laughs> it's not the time for it. <laughs> it's not the time for innovation. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Hey, you got this great idea. To, uh, <laughs> it's just, I might get eaten, but hopefully I don't. So I can really so express I can actually, this idea. I had this great idea. It's for a, an interconnected uh, network of computers. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Dude. someone else will have to come up with that. One. <laughs> yeah. The, but anyway, that's the, his, I think that's exactly correct. Is like mm. sitting in boredom. Something that I don't think about enough, but I probably mm. should. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I'm like probably addicted to what's the next thing because mm. it's exciting. Yes. You know, Yeah. looking, I mean, listen, nothing wrong with that, but uh, I, the, the lesson that I always seem to come back with when it comes to Zen um, is the whole idea of the finger pointing at the moon, that the finger isn't the moon, but if you stare at the finger, you might mistake it for being the moon. And for those of you that, um, are hearing this for the first time, the finger pointing at the moon is just this idea that all things point to truth, but truth doesn't point back. The thing is you don't want to be confused by or hung up by the pointing mechanism towards truth. So even something like the philosophy of Zen stoicism, like we're taught, we talk about on this podcast, this is just another pointing mechanism. This isn't the truth, but it's just an expression, uh, a way of trying to point to it. So like anything else, excite, if excitement becomes, your moon, and you're always thinking that that is the truth, that is the moon, then you're always going to chase it, not realizing that excitement is just one way of pointing at the ability to be completely present in existence for a moment. That's a very good point. That it's a it's a signifier, not the referent. That's right. Yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, that's a, uh, you know, man, that's deep. Uh, it's interesting, too, because this, this is a fascinating, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of like weird universe winking at me things that are happening. But this conversation is one of them, I think, because it's very strange. There's like a handful of things going on in my life that I'm like, yeah, that's a very, oh my, that's so poignant right now. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's one of them actually. I think that's a very good point and good for me to remember as I'm, you know, trying to, because I'm not sure. I'm trying to figure out whether or not I want to commit to living in Austin or if I have to go back to New York. So, yeah. well, it depends. Depends what, uh, what it, where is the perfect boring day? Yeah, right. Where's, <laughs> where does it exist when you think about it? Yeah, is it in New York? Is it in Austin? Where is it? Exactly. And uh, these things, I mean, these answers can become pretty apparent. I've, I've always seen, usually your, your unconscious tells you these things like almost immediately. It's yeah. just all the noise that you make in your mind that kind of distracts you from the real answer. Oh my God, dude, that's so true. You know what's funny? Actually, this is a good thing to share with you on the podcast is, mm-hmm. um, 
so we've all had a bad year and a frustrating year in many ways. And mm-hmm. I, I know this is like the third time I've said this on the podcast now. <laughs> you at home are like, I know, dude. I've lived it too. Like, <laughs> and, and those of you who think you had a good year, now you're starting to question. Now you're like, starting to wonder. A good year? What really happened? <laughs> yeah. Did I? What? I did make a lot of money on Dogecoin, but <laughs> anyway, uh, dude, I made 60 bucks on Dogecoin and I felt Excellent. like I broke the simulation. I was like, yeah, how did I do that? You're like, obviously cracking into the matrix at this point. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm like Neo. I'm just like, oh, I see the way it works. Um, so um, everybody's had a hard year, but my friend has had like the worst year. Mm-hmm. Like I feel really bad for her. Uh, she's had like such a bad time. And... Um, she had major surgery. She had like a series of surgeries actually mm-hmm. and that were life threatening. Like yes. she, at one point she thought I might actually not make it through this and um, really rough. And uh, the reason I bring this up is because she recently went on a meditation retreat and spent an entire week basically in a series of meditations, uh, just kind of sitting and thinking through like a lot of this stuff. And, like most of us, not only did she have a hard year uh, because of the pandemic and these horrible medical reasons, which were uh, hopefully you at home have not had to deal with, uh, she also got out of a very serious long-term relationship. It's amazing Haven't how much all. that he, I know. <laughs> this pandemic has caused a lot what? of breakups. <laughs> what? It's almost like... <laughs> It's almost like everybody was just waiting for an excuse. Like, <laughs> Listen, when you're bored, the real you comes out. And this pandemic either bored people to tears or it freaked them out. So. Oh, my God. Wait, I, ca- I have to spend time with this person? <laughs> you're like, whoa. <laughs> wait, I chose to previously, but now I have to? Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing sometimes. <laughs> oh, my God. So, you know, she um, so she had this major surgery. She um, uh, was basically wasn't sure whether or not this relationship was over. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of people over uh, the last few months have been telling her like, Hey, look, this is, this is this relationship. I think you need to leave this guy. Mm -hmm. You know, he's not supportive of you. He hasn't been supportive during these like horrible medical situations. Um, It seems like he's maybe interested in another person like, uh, which, you know, I mean, people live all kinds of different lives. Maybe you have a relationship that can, (laughs) that can (laughs) accommodate, uh, additional people, who knows? It's 2021. But in combination with everything else happening, that's obviously not a... It was like a bad pattern. And so uh, what ends up happening is she goes on this this retreat, and she knew, I think, deep down, that all of this was true before going. But the thing that changed when she was at this meditation retreat was her relationship to that knowledge where she suddenly was like, oh, I've always known that I needed to do this, but now I feel comfortable doing it because it's not about me anymore. Like, it isn't about, you know, my relationship doesn't mean something about me. It just is this way, and I'm comfortable just with recognizing that and making choices that no longer have reflect on who I am, if that makes any sense. Yes. And um, I think, that. so what you're saying is like, it's strange how you're, unconscious can actually know a lot about this. Oh yeah. I mean, in my experience, the, the, the type of session that I do in my coaching practice that has started to become a lot more popular, something that I call the liberation session. And it's all about <clears throat> interacting with the unconscious mind mm. because your unconscious 
the theory behind what I've learned to be able to do these sessions is that the unconscious remembers everything in exquisite detail. Yeah. If you just listen to it. And the thing that gets in the way of listening to it is when you create like unnecessary noise in your mind or you try to over explain it or over reason it consciously. So there's a way of listening to it. And usually it's, if you ask the question of your unconscious mind, it's usually the very first thing that pops up. Mm. But most of the time people deny the very first thing that pops up because it seems stupid or it seems weird or it seems bizarre. There's some judgment about it. Right. There's some judgment about it. But the thing is emotions, they're highly symbolic. They're not literal, not all the time at least. So when you have something comes up, that's weird. If you just trust that thing and you go on that path and you kind of approach it with some curiosity, it can have a lot to tell you. It can have a lot to share with you. Mm. So when we do this type of a session, I always let people know before we go into certain exercises when it comes to releasing uh, really significant unpleasant emotions or memories that, hey, you're going to have moments where I'll ask you a question, something will come up right away, and you'll say to yourself, like, that couldn't possibly be it. Like, that's super weird. It's like, no, that is probably it. Because your unconscious voice is usually that very quiet Um, almost voiceless voice. It's more of a feeling. Yeah. Whisper at the very most. And your conscious voice is the, uh, the pushy salesman in your head. That's always trying to like, no, you should totally do this. This is a great idea. You're going to be fucking millionaire. Yeah. 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 (laughs) You're going to be super famous. (laughs) No, you know what you should do, dude? You should buy a boat. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. That's definitely not your unconscious. (laughs) Your unconscious or your conscious voice is either cutting you down hard or it's, you know, trying to bolster your ego like there's no tomorrow. Yeah. You're either, you know, like Gaston or you're Quasimodo in those moments. That's funny. (laughs) It's it's a very, uh, you know, dichotomous experience sometimes. But the point is, it's like your unconscious voice will speak to you via your intuition, via your emotions. And your emotions at least in the the way that I typically will work with clients, is that your emotions are not good or bad. They just are. Yeah. They have something to tell you. Yep. If it's a pleasant emotion, it feels good. It might be say, it might be reinforcing something or saying, like, you should keep doing this or, like, there's more to learn here. You should keep pursuing this. If it's an unpleasant emotion, maybe it's telling you to change your perspective or change the way you're actually doing something, your, the actions you're taking. Yeah, and just setting – I mean, that's very zen. It's just – you know, you're the the goal, and I mean, people mistake this in Stoicism also, but I think this is more like Zen as a way of being. Is like it isn't that you're emotionless; it's that they're you're just experiencing these things. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just witnessing these things happen, and right. I think that like this is interesting because this tracks with my own experience. And then I think where I also where people run into, especially like at work, like when I'm doing sales coaching, like. The people people run into problems when they start stifling their emotions in order mm-hmm. to try to present a themselves as a certain way to a prospect or a certain yes. way to the world and to themselves. And that's very Lacanian actually, is this idea that you actually have two you're presenting a self to yourself as mm-hmm. much as you are to the world. You're yeah. representing yourself in two different directions. You're trying to convince yourself that you are this thing. Yeah, that's the mirror principle mm-hmm. in um Lacan. I'm just, I've been doing a lot of I'm reading. I'm going to have to look up Lacan. Yeah, Jacques not, Lacan. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of reading about Lacan lately due to this book on Mid- Midwest existentialism that I'm writing. Mm-hmm. That's actually the title of the book, is uh, Midwest Existentialism. Um, it's weird because not without, I mean, in an hour and 10 minutes in, if you can't, <laughs> I'll start talking about, here's what we should do. We'll record a second <laughs> podcast and it'll be like a, um, what are those, uh, those, uh, <laughs> those, those, those YouTube uh, 
you know, people talking very quietly and close to the microphone. ASMR. Yeah, we'll do an ASMR where I talk about Midwest existentialism <laughs> and how I, because if people can't fall asleep, they can put that on. Excellent. <laughs> they'll be like, wow, that's how. But like in brief, I was back in the Midwest and realized, oh, part of the issue with the Midwest specifically, and this is true, I think generally in the world today, but specifically in the Midwest, it's very acute, is that it's difficult for somebody to individuate through making acts, choices, acts of commission in their life because of the very limited number of actual available options that mm-hmm. someone has to choose from. Yes. And because of the world we live in um, called neoliberalism or late-stage capitalism, the idea is that you are what you choose in the marketplace. And because of those limited options, it's difficult for someone to become a fully realized self mm-hmm. in the Midwest. So... Uh, in order to continue to talk about this and write about it, I've had to read a lot about, you know, late stage capitalism and Jacques Lacan is like a very f- formative figure in that mm-hmm. world of thought. And this is where this comes from. But that mirror principle is like exactly like what you've just described where like you're essentially interrogating your unconscious. Uh, well, you're not interrogating your unconscious, actually. It's your the interrogation process would be to your conscious self, but your un- your unconscious is the one that's actually just bringing things up. Yeah, it's it's the it's like it's the experiencer, like in, in the rawest form possible. And what's really interesting about the unconscious is that it always give you those emotions uh, or those uh, messages via your emotions. Mm. I always have this like little phrase that I'll <clears throat> I'll tell clients before we even begin the session, and you know you. You hear the unconscious, the unconscious communicates to you always. Mm-hmm. Whether, like some people will call it their intuition or their instinct or their gut, but your unconscious is always speaking to you. And I have always liked to say this like, if your unconscious had like a motto, it would be, if you trust me, listen to me. If mm. you don't, I'll support you anyway. Yeah. Mm. And it, it will let you go about your tomfoolery and your debauchery. <laughs> <laughs> Look, motherfucker, I'll watch you sleep in your truck for six months in Boulder, and Colorado. We'll talk about it. Yeah. And we come and we talk about it. We talk about it when you're ready to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But aside from that, you do your thing. You know, like, I'm not going to stop you. Like, it's your life. <laughs> that is so, so funny, man. So, in, in a weird way, it functions like that. But the interesting thing, too, is kind of going back to what you're saying about, um, about that woman, <laughs> the angle change that she had in her perspective was like, instead of attaching it to herself, which again, the self or the identity is a made up concept. And then when you add direction yes. to it, now you're adding like distance and time, like yes. woven into it. Yeah. Which is why I love the whole idea in Zen of non-self because yeah. it's just the recognition that like, Hey, we made this thing up. Like we yeah. can play along. Yeah. It's fine. This but is all just this a, shit up. We're just making it up. Like, yeah. and, and it, it's interesting because, you know, Freud, uh, you were talking about the unconscious and you were like your time and the self and like all this sort of stuff. Like Freud theorized that he was basically like time has no relative. The unconscious does not perceive time. Mm-mm. Time is a, is a construct that your conscious ego has cre- has created. I mean, it's a construct. It exists. Like, yes. let me, let, before everybody on this <laughs> podcast freaks out and is like, wait, is he saying time doesn't exist? Time absolutely exists. Yeah. We, we experience it. <laughs> yeah. But I mean like, uh, what did, uh, um, what's his name um the uh guy in the wheelchair passed away lucasian uh physics um mathematician um the movie the theory of everything was about him 
He had the computer who would talk for him. Uh, I can't believe I'm having this bad of a brain fart right now. I'm I'm experiencing the brain fart. This happens to me all the time. Yeah, where he'll be like, he'll have the little computer, and it'll be like, hello, how are you? (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Uh, I can't believe What is his name? It's really bad. Stephen Hawking. That's the one. God. Oh, you invited boy. me into your brain fart. I know, dude. It was bad. Your brain fart was contagious. <laughs> it was contagious, dude. Hopefully people <laughs> on the podcast are not yelling at their uh, iPod right now. Stephen Hawking. IPhone. <laughs> Stephen Hawking, you moron. Uh, anyway, Stephen Hawking said that their physics you know, basically says that time occurs sort of in three different ways, one of which is sort of the background processes of the universe. Like, it, 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 it just happens. There's like a... Uh, there's a time scale that the universe began at one point and it'll mm. continue. But the thing that's weird about that is that in secondarily, there's this like relative mm-hmm. concept of time, which is like if I'm closer to the sun or if I'm moving at great speed, time slows down for me. Mm-hmm. Or uh, he said in the third po- point is is uh, conscious time, which is that you perceive time differently. Mm-hmm. When you're doing a task and you're, enjoying it if you're in flow time moves very quickly yes like but if you're you know forced to wait to eat a marshmallow on a table when you're a child and you have to wait 20 minutes it's like the long it feels like forever you know well, what I, mean? I love how people always bring up that experiment <laughs> right <laughs> yeah like it's super significant yeah like, right <laughs> like this kid is not gonna be successful because he ate a fucking marshmallow <laughs> can i tell you something funny about this that's so funny he ate the marshmallow after five minutes what an idiot <laughs> that's it Kick him in with the other children. <laughs> this kid waited thirty minutes. Put a put a. I love that. Yeah, and whatever. I don't want to talk about late stage capitalism and all the reading I've been doing on this podcast. But um, I will say this about uh, that experiment, which is I watched that experiment, and my f- immediate first thought, like as soon as I saw it, Victor. I, I mean, the moment that I realized like the conceit of the experiment, I thought mm. I would have eaten that marshmallow immediately. And then I would have tried to convince the scientist who was conducting it that I didn't eat the marshmallow. Somebody else did. And also, I deserve another marshmallow. <laughs> for, for figuring this <laughs> for out. Figuring, for helping. <laughs> I actually deserve another marshmallow. You're like the guy that breaks into a computer system and is like, you, you should actually be uh, thanking yeah, me for you're pointing, out, yeah, pointing yeah. out the faults in the security. I just thought about the other day. That was on the social network. He's like, yeah, if you knew what you, were, if you, knew what you should be looking for, you would have seen it written on the window of my dorm room. Like, <laughs> like just what? A, what? what, what? <laughs> Let me just flip the script on these people casually. Oh, my goodness. I would think I know that there's a bag of marshmallows somewhere yeah, around. Yeah, they here. didn't just buy one. <laughs> yeah, they don't come yeah. like this. How, what combination of words do I need to tell this proctor in order to give me this bag of marshmallows? Yes, I'll be like, yeah, there's something wrong with the test. You need to restart it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try this again. Hold on. No, 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 no. I misunderstood. Give me another marshmallow. <laughs> okay. All right. No, hold on. Third time's a charm. All right. So now I get it. Now I understand what to do absolutely <laughs> we've given this kid 24 marshmallows yes if anything that kid's a genius for being able to influence such things <laughs> at such a young age <laughs> they're trying to do a serious science experiment he's just concerned about getting marshmallows how many marshmallows can he <laughs> so ridiculous yeah, the, yeah. The, the whole thing with time i think is interesting i had somebody on the last podcast is uh one of my one of my good friends he's like a a magician. His name is Daniel Fernandez and he's, he, he's a really awesome guy. And I interviewed him on the podcast when 
the pandemic had started. So him and I were, were having this discussion and he had a question for me. He's like, he's like, okay. He's like, you talk about the present moment all the time. And, uh, what if he's like, would that lesson still apply? If like you had like a time machine, like what if you could just go, go to any point in time? Like that, does the present moment still matter? I'm like, yeah. Well, that's the only moment you're in, dude. That's the only moment you're in, no, no matter if you have a time machine or not. <laughs> it's like, what? What? <laughs> so I thought it was a really interesting question, but I remember he laughed. He's like, he's like, oh shit. And he's like, that's true. Yeah, the time <laughs> it's machine. It's just another present moment. Yeah, for you, it's all the same. It's it's all the same, no matter what era you're in. That's such an interesting. I mean, but people in in time, you know, in in the past perceive time differently. Mm-hmm. Like that's part of the, and this is like not to again fall down the rabbit hole of this late stage capitalism stuff that I've been reading, but you know, part of the weird difficulty of modern life, part of the anxiety that we have to deal with now, and why podcasts like this and people like you are so important for people to listen to, is because we have sliced and segmented time in such a specific way mm-hmm. that had never happened historically yes. like, no none of us evolved to have to live in this environment mm-hmm. this is a bizarre environment of complete artifice yes. from top to bottom and uh and, and and it's weird because we think of like 60 minute hours and 24 hour days as like normal or natural mm-hmm. but these are like ideological choices that we've yes. all kind of decided to live in the background of our lives during the French revolution. They tried to change the hour to be a hundred minutes. Like they changed the entire calendar. Like the revolutionary calendar didn't match at all. Like the Gregorian calendar, which is what we all use today. And, um, it's very bizarre because we take that as like normal or natural and people don't question it, but that's, those were all choices. Like I think it was the Sumerians who decided on the 60 minute hour because you could segment it in so many different ways. Mm. It, but, seemed, it seemed versatile at the time. Yeah. I, I just, I just had a, a weird thought though. Like, can you imagine waging a war and they're like, what do you want? You're like, I'm going to fucking change time. I'm going to change time. <laughs> Your hour is stupid and I don't like it. <laughs> From the producers who brought you. <laughs> Uh, the time cop, time cop, <laughs> time cop. What a, that sounds like a terrible movie. Uh, have you seen Time Cop, buddy? Is that a real movie? Yeah. Are you kidding? Oh, I didn't know. <laughs> well, it's got Jean Claude Van Damme in it. Uh, I mean, now I'm not surprised. Jean, yeah, yeah, right. It's kind of great. If it's not Bloodsport, it's not a good Jean Claude Van Damme movie. Actually, that's not true. No Way Out is also quite good. John Claude Van Damme is a he's a great treasure. He's a tre- he is a treasure. You need to get him on this. He'd probably do this podcast. Oh, I would love to have him on here. <laughs> Only if he were to do a split on the couch the entire time. You'd have to be in a split having discussions with <laughs> this poor guy. He's like I mean, he can I'm sure he can still do it, man. It's his claim I, I, to fame. Yeah, dude. Have you seen that that Volvo commercial with where him? Yeah, on the two trucks. Yeah, with Enya in the background. <laughs> Who can say well? Yes, exactly. And he's like doing the splits. He had a great show on um, Amazon Prime for a minute, Jean Claude Van Johnson, oh. where he played a secret agent who, yeah, he played a he was a secret agent who was his alter ego was Jean Claude Van Damme, <laughs> who he was just a washed up actor as a joke in order for him to complete like international mission. It was actually a great sure. show. I, I like it. Did a really good job. Amazing. Um, 
Because who knows? Well, this has been a this. We're 120 minutes in. I mean, 120 minutes in. We're 82 minutes in. Sorry, you're 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 on the French Revolution of time. <laughs> <laughs> we use yeah, time, we are right? on some the, 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 so, the minute revolutionnaire. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, um, so I have a few, just a couple, like final questions before we begin to wrap up. For sure. Um, one of one of which is like, okay, you've wrote you've wrote a few books books now. Uh, one of them being the stoic salesperson. Now, it's it's really interesting to look at something like sales and also bring in stoicism. Yeah. Because it's really important. And I think there's definitely an element of Zen in there. I've, at least I've found when it comes to sales, involving yourself, like looking at your identity as like being woven into how the sale goes is a really problematic way to approach sales. Completely. So when you, when you think of the stoic salesperson, if like people are listening to this and, you know, they're – inspired by your experience of going from living in a truck to opening for Chris Kattan, which is a pretty significant thing. Yeah. <laughs> what, what can somebody learn from the stoic salesperson? Um, I think the, well, I, so there's two answers to that question. Cause I think that like, if, if the easiest one to answer is if you're a salesperson, um, I think I mentioned this the last time we spoke, but it's good to reiterate is that the, you know, Zig Ziglar has a quote, which he just says that sales is the transference of emotion. Mm-hmm. So the thing is that you have to be the most convinced person in every conversation that you're in mm-hmm. about where this is going. And yes. you have to be able to control your emotions and con- control maybe is not quite the right word to use because it's not so active, but it's like you have to be able to... um to be the most convinced and uh, and recognize where you do and where you don't have any influence mm-hmm. in order to make s- sales happen. So if you're trying to, because the way that it works basically, and I'll, I swear I'll answer this question for the second person <laughs> in a second, but the way that it works basically is that you want to, you have to, pro- you have to be sure and you have mm-hmm. to project surety, but you you have to also be authentic. Mm-hmm. And so that that sort of brings up the second point, which is that you if you present a false face of like egotistical surety, like, yeah, no, it's totally gonna work. Listen to me. This is the best car you've ever bought. You can see yourself behind the wheel of a Jeep Wrangler. All right. <laughs> it's like there's something like there's been a bunch of TikToks lately that I've seen which are a POV, you walk into a car lot, or it's like, why is every car salesman like this? Mm-hmm. And it's because there's this like weird um, mask that all these, this egotistical mask, ego meaning in the way Freud meant it, which is like there's this mask that you wear yes, to try to convince other people of this truth, which is that it's like, look, I know what I'm doing. And let me yes. tell you, I have these things, but that doesn't actually build any trust. And the weird thing is that it's as, you're doing it to reassure yourself. Mm-hmm. Not and even it, them. Yeah, not even them. And that relying on principles from stoicism to understand where you don't have, where do I not have influence? Mm-hmm. And where do I just let go of like of that? Mm-hmm. Opens up the door to see where you do have influence. Yes. And then focusing on doing those things very well, which a salesperson who thinks they have influence in places that they don't would normally overlook. Mm. So it's about doing the things that you do have control over better in order to help 
the chances of a sale happening yes. versus trying to focus on places that you don't have control because you want to convince yourself or them that you do. Does that make sense? Yeah, most definitely. What it, what it reminds me of is like somebody selling like a supplement of some kind and you're like, well, I have this thing. And like, let's say you have, I don't know, like, oh, the supplement is, it's a vitamin and it's for energy. It's like, well, I have back pain. You're like, well, it helps that too. <laughs> yeah. No, it doesn't, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, yeah, it helps, uh, helps your back pain because when you have energy, your back can't um, be, to buy it. Just Please, buy just it. buy it. Yeah, but but it's it's almost like the pushiness of a salesperson, like a, per, a person who is like overzealous in trying to sell something. That pushiness actually expresses a lack of belief in what they're actually selling. Yes, it's. Uh, I think Alan Watts talked about it, and Mark Manson reiterated it in his book um, "Subtle Art." Yeah, where he talked about the backwards law. Yeah, and this idea of like the more you want something, the more you express not having it. Yes, the more you try to like pressure and convince, the less convinced you are. That's Wu Wei. That's yes. what you just described. So that's that's the Zen part of it. Mm-hmm. Is that that Wu Wei, mm-hmm. the doing without doing. Yes. The like that the 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 non doing of getting it done. That's the so that's the part of the book that I think non salespeople could would actually understand also, yes. which is like because sales is a part that is the um the praxis of that the mm-hmm. at the where the where things actually have to get done that's where cuz here's the thing man if you're depending on the kind of sales you do if you don't sell you don't eat and mm-hmm. it, that's the sales i was involved in for a long time mm-hmm. was like at the, especially at the beginning of my career it was like if i didn't sell something i didn't make any money mm-hmm. so how do you be an authentic person mm-hmm. an authentic person in that situation by non-being, by wu-wei, by, by, by the, the art of non-doing mm-hmm. in order to get this thing done. Yes. And, um, and, and that's a, a difficult, um, it is hard to, and like the, like, not to make this too uh, overly philosophical, but like the, like the Lacanian reel, that's a impossible to capture in words way mm-hmm. of being. Yes. It's like I can only speak to it by analogy or by referring to what it isn't or by creating a context in which you can see what it isn't in mm-hmm. order to kind of see what it is. Yes. And like that's a I try to do that. I mean, stoicism is a way to describe it because it's like stoicism is a is the way of describing how to escape the things that it isn't. Mm. But the being of it as it is is the other part of it. It's hard to even talk about. Yes, well, I guess uh, whoever's listening to this and is intrigued by such a thing will have to be a stoic salesperson. Where can they find it? Or you can where find where it on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, they can find it on Amazon. Um, I'm in the middle of uh, doing a bunch of... So you can find... So the easiest thing to do is find the stoic sales salesperson on... Um, pardon me, the stoic salesperson on Amazon. Uh, you can also find the Power Bible, which is the other book that I did recently. That's, that book is fantastic. It goes very deep. We didn't talk about it, but it's a very good one. I'll send you a copy of we'll, it. We'll definitely have another episode while you're still in the uh, Texas area. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you and I can go for another several hours. Oh, dude, it's so much fun. <laughs> I just love hanging out with you, man. Likewise. And, and like, uh, you're such a good guy, Victor, honestly. And um, you have such a good heart, man. And, and uh, I think that it's been a pleasure to be on here. Every time I've been on here, you have an audience that you are genuinely doing such a good service for. And like, I, it makes me really happy. It fills me up with a lot of joy. 
Uh, I would say to wrap up, if um, if you want to follow me, I'm at Brendan Freaking Lemon, B R E N D O N Freaking, Freaking, F R E A K I N G Lemon L E M O N on TikTok. I've been doing a ton on there lately. It's all been Midwest existentialism. So if you're listening and you're like you live in the Midwest or you're from the Midwest or you've been to the Midwest and you're like, why does this feel so weird? Or uh, I will tell you why it feels so weird. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or you're experiencing, you know, if anything that I talked about with Lacan or Freud or late stage capitalism uh, landed with you, I'm exploring a lot of those themes on the on that channel right now. And humorously, I make a lot of comedy videos, but I intersplice them with like me talking about deep philosophical. It's yes. a very weird channel. It's I very it. it's very <laughs> postmodern. Like, <laughs> it's got a little bit of everything. You just sprinkle some things in there. It's so goofy, man. Yes. Anyway, Brandon, it was amazing having you on the podcast as always, man. I enjoy your presence, the laughs for sure, and then the philosophical depth behind these conversations because a lot of the time you know, you can joke around, but sometimes it just feels like it's meaningless. At least this has some substance and really, you know, can actually change your perspective on things. So thank you so much for being on here, man. Yeah, thank you, man. I appreciate it.